Welcome back to Word Balloon, the comic book conversation show. John Suntra is here, back from C2E2. I believe I am con-crud free, unlike some of my friends who uh, went down hard. You know, it's a Petri dish every time you walk into a convention, so uh, do as much preventive scrubbing as you can. Successful C2E2, I have to say, not only uh, staying germ-free, but uh, also uh, getting several interviews that I'm happy to start sharing with you on this episode. Uh, It will spill into next episode as well, along with uh, Gene Ha's panel for uh, his uh, new creator-owned book and a good retrospect of his career. That's going to be a next episode. But uh, today's episode, man, you're going to love the lineup on uh, today's Word Balloon. We're going to start things off with a Chicago legend, uh, Sven Gulli who you might know if you have MeTV in your city. Uh, Sven Gulli is our Chicago monster movie weekend host, a tradition that's been going on on television since the 1950s. Uh, Sven has been doing it for over 30 years, but even before that was a part of the original Sven Gulli show in the 70s. And uh, is just this great guy, Rich Coase, who uh, not only am I a fan and, and hundreds and thousands of Chicagoans, who am I kidding, but also it's really cool to see the comedy community Love Svenguli as much. I've seen it happen live, and I'll tell you about it when we introduce the Svenguli segment. But uh, we're also talking to Gail Simone today, and that's going to be a lot of fun. Uh, talking to Dan Parent about uh, Kevin Keller and uh, his plans for Archie versus Sharknado. We're going to talk to Israel Adonijah, the Chicago Bear, and his comic book series, The Protectors, making its Made Fire debut. Mike Choi, a wonderful uh, artist who's uh, done wonderful work at uh, Marvel for the X-Men and Iron Man cover. We check in with him. We talk to Elaine Adams, who is a young adult author who is marrying her young adult books with uh, a fun mobile game. Henri Compen is going to be talking about uh, a Korean adventure that uh, he has been uh, writing and uh, this interesting production that comes out of Chicago. And Tony Bedard uh, talking about his uh, DC work on uh, Convergence and beyond. So it's a full lineup today on today's Word Balloon, and I hope you're going to enjoy the show. It's brought to you, as always, by the League of Word Balloon listeners. Thank you, League, for your support through Patreon. Uh, If you'd like to subscribe to Word Balloon, it's not required. But if you want to help us out, uh, go to patreon.com slash wordballoon and uh, you can subscribe for the show for as little as a dollar a month. Thank you very much for your support. Word Balloon is also brought to you by InStock Trades at InStockTrades.com. Big deals are going on at InStockTrades.com. You can save 50% on select Oni Press titles. And there's a lot of great books to choose from. If you haven't delved into the Oni Press library, guys like Greg Rucka and Anthony Johnson have uh, written books for Oni just off the top of my head. Nunzio de Filippis and Christina Weir. Great, great stuff. Brian Hurt is drawing beautiful things for Oni Press. And uh, very excited about the sale going on there at In Stock Trades. Uh, also, as things wrap up with uh, Bill Willingham's Fables, uh, they are doing a massive final sale on volumes 1 through 20, 45% off. You can also uh, get a great deal on uh, J. Michael Straczynski's Twilight Zone books from uh, Dynamite. And even more, uh, things like uh, Gotham City Sirens, book two, is 42% off. It's just $14.49. Jeff Lemire's amazing run on Green Arrow has wrapped up, and you can get volume six broken for 42% off, $8.69. You can get Secret Agent X9, written by Dashiell Hammett, the original author, and uh, drawn by the great Alex Raymond, the wonderful Flash Gordon artist. This is a comic strip collection that you will not believe. 30% off, $34.99. From Marvel, you can get Elektra, Volume 2, Reverence. 
42% off $10.43. You can get Fable's Trade Paperback Volume 1 at 50% off Happily Ever After, $8.99. And uh, then you can get Spider-Verse, the hardcover, collecting the entire series, uh, 50% off, just $37.50. That and a whole lot more waiting for you at InStockTrades.com. Check out all the deals for yourself, InStockTrades.com. All right, let's get things started with our C2E2 floor coverage. Uh, these are shorter interviews, but I always try to get a little bit more than just tell me about the book. And uh, we delve a little bit into uh, their backgrounds as well. But uh, first up, I am I am so pleased to be talking to this guy. And you can tell uh, from the tone in my voice uh, during the conversation, uh, Rich Coe's great radio and television personality in Chicago for decades, working on uh, UHF channels, on TV, and uh, various AM and FM stations over the years. Well, well, uh, Rich has been the host for over 30 years of our local monster movie Saturday night show, Sven Gulli, and it was always on Channel 50. It is now on MeTV, and uh, not only on MeTV locally in Chicago, but also it's nationally syndicated. And, uh, man, I'll tell you, people like Dana Gould and the Mystery Science Theater 3000 guys, Thomas Lennon, all of these guys are huge Sven Gulli fans. And it is really, really neat that uh, so many great, funny people in the current comedy scene, you know, appreciates Ven. I mean, Rich is an amazing, very creative guy, comes from radio, and uh, I've always been a fan. And it was a pleasure to finally meet him and get to do a brief stand-up floor interview with him. We shot video for it. I'll be posting that uh, in the uh, days ahead. But in the meantime, enjoy the audio. And also, Sven's people were uh, shooting video, so maybe I'll wind up on Sven in a little clip or something like that when he does his C2E2 coverage, because he had a camera crew following him around as well. But uh, let's check in with Rich Coase, a.k.a. the great Sven now on Word Balloon. He's going to do it a cappella with his hat on. So... <laughs> Very happy to uh, have a moment here on the floor of C2E2 with a Chicago legend and now a national legend, <laughs> the great Sven Gulli, the man who brings us Saturday Night Creature feature kind of footage every week. It is a pleasure to meet you, sir. Well, thank you so much. Yeah, and I'm happy to be doing this. And I think we're really kind of showing a lot of people who've never had a chance to see these movies uh, a chance to, to see them right here on TV. And it's amazing how many people at first go, oh, black and white. But then when they get into it, they see the great atmosphere of these movies. And uh, I'm just happy that, you know, we continue that cycle of these famous creature features. I happened to notice uh, you were talking to Trace Ballou earlier. Yeah. And I uh, saw you both perform on stage recently uh, yeah. doing uh, old-time radio recreations. And certainly a show like Mystery Science Theater was happening parallel in Minneapolis while you were doing your thing locally here in Chicago. Yeah, actually. A couple years after, right? I think, yeah, because we started first, I believe. And I believe a couple of the guys from Mystery Science Theater have been nice enough in uh, interviews to say that they have, they've watched my show, which to me is a big compliment, and I've always enjoyed their work as well. And I wonder, um, because as you've got this great treasure chest of Bird Eye Gordon movies, Ed Wood movies, the Universal Classic Monster movies, are there newer movies like the Tromas or anything like that that fit in to uh, what you do every week? Well, I'll tell you, several years ago, at least locally, we did show some of the Troma movies, and we had to really edit the heck out of them. It was yeah. difficult to run a lot of them, and now uh, it, it seems like our MeTV audience is made up more of families, so it's a little more difficult to run some of that stuff. I enjoy it, but it, it's a little tougher to get some of that stuff by. I know. I remember your days as the son of Sven Gulli, mm -hmm. and remember your your late father. May he rest uh, wherever he's currently resting and, yes. and spinning. <laughs> but uh, I wonder, um, 
the way this phenomenon started back in the 50s with this package of universal mm-hmm. movies and right. stuff, I, as a fan yourself probably as a kid, I mean, well, you know, to suddenly be part of it, what was that like and what has it been like these 30 plus years of uh, bringing these movies to us? It's pretty amazing. I have to say the very first time I saw some of the horror movies was when I was allowed to stay up late when we were at relatives' houses and in Chicago, Shock Theater was on, done by Terry Bennett as Marvin. And I just saw a couple of those that I can remember, but I remember thinking, wow, this is really something. And then, you know, as the cycles went around, and uh, there I was. I was just about graduated from high school, and there was Jerry G. Bishop doing the original Sven show, which at first was just voiceover, because <laughs> he happened to be the announcer on duty the during the announcer. show. Yeah, absolutely. So he would do that, and uh, he turned into the whole video show, and I was a fan. I sent him material, and... He knew I was a broadcasting student at Northwestern, and he said, you know, hey, why don't you, you know, write something specific? He asked me for specific stuff, and it worked into my working with him there and on radio, and he was the one that decided that I should continue the Svengoolie family, which was a great honor for me. That's excellent, man. And you've got this amazing broadcast history. You used to be part of Chicken Man. One of the I great did. syndicated uh, comedy features that Dick Orkin did, and you were a player on that? Uh, another person who was a great influence on me, Dick Orkin. When I was in junior high, the Chicken Man series was on, and I thought, that is so cool. I'd love to do stuff like that someday. And then years later, to actually be working with him on another series of Chicken Man stuff, which was called Chicken Man Returns for the Last Time Again, because it was <laughs> years down the line from his original appearance, and he felt like he was, you know, out of, you know, out of vogue with everything, so he started his own crime-fighting school that had one student. And it was a lot of fun writing those and getting to work with Dick. Again, it was like, learn as you earn, because he was such a fantastic guy. I learned so much about doing comedy and doing audio comedy stuff from him. You know, it's been amazing, man. I, I really have to congratulate you, because for 30 years you've been doing this, and it really seems like comedy has shifted back to appreciating kitsch. And and I, and that's the thing, man. No, and you've consistently been funny over the, over the years. Incredibly creative with your parody songs and all. And it's great to see that now you get to do it to this wider audience. And it has to blow your mind. Am I right? You were on that uh, Showtime uh, documentary that Dana Gould maybe hosted about uh, Saturday, you know, creature feature kind I, I of hosting. So yeah. And and the nice thing is Dana Gould is now a friend of ours, and uh, he's a big fan of the show. In fact, he'll be coming up on the show. Oh, great! In a few weeks. So. We, uh, we we touched base with him. And it is. It's amazing to be a part of this whole history of horror hosts. And a lot of people say to me, well, at this point, you're just about the last man standing as far as broadcasting. Really? Okay. And I, I guess it's pretty close. There are still other people doing it. Okay. But a lot of people doing it on public access. And it's nice because they get a chance to try it and do their own characters and everything. And, you know, people always say, well, who are you going to choose as your successor? Well, Jerry and I, the original Swingley, Jerry G. Bishop, decided a long time ago that I was going to be the end of the family. Okay. So somebody can do something else with their own character, but there will be no more Sven Gullies after I'm out of the picture. I understand now. You made it your own when even when you were the son of Sven Gulli and you've continued the tradition and carry the family name. It's like the Barrymores. There was John and then he found now Drew's the Barrymore and everything. So now you're the Sven Gulli. There's a lot less drinking though, I think. That's true. Or flashing David Letterman, I think, at um, inopportune moments. I have never tried that and I don't think I will. Understood. <laughs> Sven, seriously, thanks a lot for talking and uh, would love to talk to you again sometime. Thank you. I'd be happy to do it. Thanks a lot. I appreciate it. 
Next up, I got young adult author Elaine Adams. And you're going to forgive me because a lot of times when I'm doing these interviews at C2E2, my head turns into tapioca. So I refer to her as a young adult artist. But she's a young adult author. And uh, she's got a great uh, series that is just getting started. It'll be coming out in the fall. But uh, she is also testing a mobile game to introduce her series to prospective readers. And I think that's a really smart idea. So let's learn more from Elaine Adams now on Word Balloon. Happy to be talking to Elaine Adams, uh, a young adult artist who has uh, written a book called The Red Sun. Had to make sure, Elaine. I'm sorry. Legends of Orkney is what I'm uh, fixated on. But uh, it's a pleasure to talk to you. And I'm excited about not only the story that's coming out this fall, but also a very unique way that you're marketing it. But first, let's let's talk about The Red Sun and the origins of this story. Sure. So a couple years ago, my 12-year-old son asked me to write him a book that he could read. And he was really interested in books like Percy Jackson, the Rick Rorden stories. And since, you know, Rick had taken all of the good Greek gods, I thought, why not try something different? Let's go into a different kind of mythology. And so I thought Norse mythology would be really interesting. It has so many great iconic characters like Odin. Um, you have the Yggdrasil tree, the tree of life. You have these nine realms that Odin created. I thought there was really a lot of material there that I could work with. The other thing that I was really interested in was this part of the world called Orkney. And Orkney is this real place. It's these, this group of islands off the coast of Scotland. And these islands have a lot of rich history themselves, not only Norse mythology as history, but a lot of mythology around witches. And there's this standing group of stones called the Ring of Brogar, and some of the local mythology actually taps into those stones and says that there might be witches trapped inside the stone. And so as I was putting this story together in my mind, I thought, why not try to marry some of this stuff, take some of the existing mythology of Orkney, this real place, take some of the existing Norse mythology and create an entire world this magical realm of working that I created around these ideas. And so this was a story that I came up with. The Red Sun is the first book in the series, Legends of Orkney, and it really starts out with my character, Sam Barron, who's 12 years old, and the poor guy knows absolutely nothing about his life because everything he's been told is a lie. You know, his mother's actually a witch, his father is a son of Odin, so this poor kid has this mixture of witch blood and god blood, and it's just no wonder. He's just a tangle of emotions and anger and loses his temper, and one day all of that changes when he encounters this strange dwarf in his garage, and he realizes that nothing at all about his life is ordinary. And that's really what launches him off into the adventure that starts the whole Legends of Working series. That's fantastic. I, uh... I think you picked a great subject in Norse mythology as well, given the success of the Marvel movies and Thor. And I know that they kind of play a lot more and very loosely with Norse mythology. Do you Have you watched the Thor movies so far? And then how are they doing Norse mythology-wise? The Nine Realms are in there, but I don't know if you've had the chance to compare. Or is it something, because I've heard this like, about zombie authors, too, that they stay away from each other's stuff because they don't want to be influenced. I don't know if you're, uh, what your take is on all that. Well, I think the Thor movies, you know, the Avengers series, is a very superhero driven sort of, you know, they themselves have all the power and, you know, it's really about the superheroes. My story is really about a 12-year-old kid. Okay, so really the gods themselves play more traditional roles of gods and they're the supporting actors in this story. The really story is about our 12-year-old character who is struggling to understand who he is, how, how to deal with all this magic that he has, how to navigate this new realm of Orkney, how does he use his powers, how does he save his friends. So it's a typical stuff 
that a 12-year-old is going to be dealing Absolutely. with, layered in with all the Norse iconic items and mythology and the sheer fact that he's a descendant of Odin, which gives him this mixture, and his mother's a witch. How does he deal with that inside? And so, and also in this first book, The Red Sun, the Red Sun is, is under this ancient curse, which causes it to turn red, this poisonous red with these veins, you know, that cross the face of it. And every time he loses his temper, things get worse. And I think a lot of kids can really relate to that because we all learn you lose your temper, nothing really good ever comes out of that. And how he learns to manage that and make a decision, you know, does he save his friends or does he save Orkney? And how does a 12-year-old deal with that? So very different from, you know, the adventure kind of movies because the story is really about a real character, a real person that we can relate to instead of this super kind of a hero. Understood. There's a lot of competition and quality competition in the young adult novel realm. And uh, I, I think you've struck a great idea marrying up with battle casters and, and, and doing this kind of marketing uh, to get people interested in the book. Why don't you talk about the, the game aspect and, and why you chose this? Well, I, my son uh, walks around with his phone all the time in front of his face, right? He's always playing some kind of a game. And it's really hard to capture kids' attention these days. Now, my goal as a transmedia author and as a literacy champion is to try to get kids to sit down and read a book cover to cover. Now, that's not easy to do. There's so much competition from their devices. So one of the things that occurred to me as I was trying to put together the branding ideas and the marketing ideas for this book was, why not try to, you know, beat them at their own game? Come up with a digital mobile app that would entice them to want to enter into my literary world of Legends of Orkney. So I partnered with Artifact Technology, who has this great platform called Mixby that allows us to create this kind of digital mobile game that allows uh, young readers to enter into my world through a very familiar portal, their cell phone, and have some fun at these fan cons, engage with the characters, get to know my characters, get to know my world, get intrigued by my world. What is this magic? What are these powers? I have this incredible artist that's worked with Artifact that's drawn these incredible characters and brought them to life, which really has allowed, I think, people that are playing the game to really kind of get a sense of curiosity about my Legends of Warping series. Now, one of the most exciting things that has happened out of this convention is that every single person who plays the game says, I can't wait to read the book. Fantastic. Right? I can't wait to read the book. It's that's like, excellent. yes, that's a home run right there because they are now hooked on the idea, the characters, they've had a taste of it, and now they want to go deeper. And when you read a book, that's when you get a chance to really go deep and really use your own imagination and build this world in your own mind, and that's really what I'm shooting for. That's terrific. And you are beta test testing this game here at C2E2. I know the official rollout's going to happen at uh, DenverCon, and essentially they can kind of go through the and it's almost like a treasure hunt where they're looking for specific locations. Uh, is, it, is it like that? Are they given clues to, to go to certain destinations? So Battlecasters uses this really great technology with these beacons. And beacons are Bluetooth-enabled devices that once you've downloaded the game to your phone, uh, you're able to then, when you cross one of the beacon's paths, then you're able to access content that's delivered from that beacon. So it recognizes you, and it says you are in the realm of Asgard or you are in Scarabray at this moment. And once you're there, you can actually collect cards, you can cast spells, and the fun part is you can affect other players. So I can steal cards from you, or 
or I can put a spell on that portal so nobody can cast any spells, I can hinder. So we can do all of these things, and so it becomes interactive. You end up playing against people you may not even know, maybe playing against your friends, or you just may be playing against somebody that was there 10 minutes ago and who's left a spell on it. The biggest fun is going around and finding the beacons. We give you a map, but the map is kind of general. It gives okay. you a layout of the floor, and a general idea of where the beacons are, but you have to do a little bit of hunting. But the nice part is, what we see at the fan cons is fans are here to wander around, so it's not like you have to play the game and do only that. You're out doing your thing, you're wandering around, you come into the area of the beacon, you get to play the game, it gives you something to do with all sure. the downtime that you have at these fan conventions while you're waiting for a panel or you're waiting for something, you know, the next thing you're going to do to happen, and just gives you something kind of fun to do, and so we're finding that it's really been effective. All the feedback that we're getting is that people are really having a lot of fun. Some of the most fun is just even finding the beacons. That's excellent, and I can also see the level of experimentation you can do beyond doing this at a fan convention. I mean, you could do this at a summer camp or something and make that kind of a, an, an event for the kids or whatever. Uh, yeah, I mean, are you there schools or libraries? Any any thoughts on other locations beyond conventions? You just hit you just hit the top three on the list. You know, schools, libraries, but why not Children's Hospital when you have all these kids that are there for treatments yeah. or for long-term stays? They can be playing the game. It's really just a matter of deploying the beacons, which are very inexpensive to do, setting up the beacons and having people engage and learn how to play the game and engage in the game. And so I see the potential to take this beyond fan conventions and put, you know, sort of put the game in a box, a set of beacons, a set of instructions and deployment and be able to use it places where kids really are coming together and want to learn. Again, we always want to get them to engage in reading the books. That's really my goal. I mean, I'm a literacy champion. I really want kids to be able to read more and there's so much competition and distraction from all of their devices. It's just my goal by creating the game. I'm using that device to actually hook them into this idea of reading an entire series because this book is just The Red Sun. It's just like the first book, right? Sure. There's a whole other book coming after and another one and another one. So my hope is to capture this generation of readers and turn them into, you know, fans of my series so that at the end of it, they've read, you know, 5,000 pages more than they would have if I hadn't done this. That's my goal. Excellent. And I also think it's smart that you've employed uh, an artist, a fantasy and sci-fi artist like Dave Dorman, who has his own fan following, and he's uh, been commissioned to do a couple prints that are exclusive to the game. So maybe you're getting, you know, his fans as well. But talk about working with Dave Dorman. Dave Dorman has been amazing to work with. He's really such a talented artist. He's a very low-key, humble kind of guy, but his artwork is just really fan-favorite kind of art. He has a very good fantasy way of drawing images from my book and, and pulling things out of the book that I would never have necessarily realized were so iconic images, but a, an artist like Dave Dorman is able to kind of read through the book and see it. In one scene, I Odin appears in a lot of different forms of mythology in one in particular is a bear and he, you know he's kind of this giant ginormous you know warrior like bear yeah. you know with a battle shield and a you know weapon and a, and a patch across one eye and that just resonates for all these kind of fans here that's the iconic image for me it was just one chapter from the book of yes this is a great thing for me to do for an artist like Dave Dorman he's able to capture the things that fantasy you know fans at conventions like this are really 
really excited to see and, and, and want to engage with. So it's another way of grabbing people's attention. There's the story, there's the game, there's the art, and each element is designed, again, to bring that reader and that potential fan into the world of Legends of Orphan, so they want to learn more and become a fan of the series. That's excellent. Well, like I said, beta testing now, more at uh, DenverCon. I know you're going to have a big uh, presentation at San Diego as well. Um, but yeah, I guess this is a great opportunity to kind of build community around this idea, starting with the game. That's the entry point. And then they they find these books. I, I think it's really smart. What are what are your plans then uh, beyond? I mean, I'm, I, we're still at square one, but I am always interested in what, what's what's around the bed. And as you say, the books are going to be coming out yearly. But yeah, any other plans beyond the year that you wanted to, beyond San Diego that you wanted to discuss? So we'll end the season. You know, there's kind of a fan con season. So we started at Emerald City. We're here in Chicago now. You know, we'll be in Denver. We'll be at Gen Con in Indiana. We'll be at San Diego Comic Con. We'll be at PAX Seattle. And okay. we'll finish the year. Kind of finish the highlight of the season is at the New York Comic Con. And that sure. will kind of be our end of the season sort of um, excitement, you know, sort of uh, grand finale. And then we'll revisit uh, all of the new art and, and game aspects that will be coming out with the next iteration because this game is really tied to the Red Sun content and characters. But once you have the game dynamics and the game mechanics in place, then it's simply a matter of adding new features. Sure. Now we want to bring them into the Moon for All, you know, which is the second book in okay. the series. Certainly. And so add in those characters and that level of art, but you've already got a great foundation and come back again. Why wouldn't we come back next year to the similar kind of fan circuit and continue to bring Legends of Orphan out to people? Maybe you haven't heard about the Red Sun. Now we're bringing out the Moon Pearl. Just continue to build on it and grow that fan base over time so that eventually we have a really successful franchise. And that's really what I think we're looking for. People watching and hearing this now, are they able to get into the game if they aren't able to get to the conventions? Have you got anything set up yet to uh, to start playing the game beyond? Or is it obvious? Well, and obviously it's tied to the icons. So, but I don't know if there's a way from a, a social media standpoint that they can you know come in and then start checking this stuff out. Yeah, one of the problems with success is everybody wants more, and so when you build a game like this at a fan convention, people have fun. They want to go home and they want to play sure. it. So I've already told my development guys, guys, how are we going to make this? So that they can take it home and play it. We really want to have an online presence. We really want to have just a game app that you can actually just play on your phone. Something simple. We also want to do a physical card game of some kind. Sure. Because this is a card-based sort Absolutely. of technology. There's yeah, no yeah. reason not to take all the great art that we have and turn it into a physical card game. So really the ideas are sort of limitless. It's just a matter of time, resource, getting to it, and actually getting this game off the ground enough so that we can then kind of go on to the next segment of what we're going to do. But the list is long of what I have planned is just the ideas keep building every single day. It's an exciting time, I think, in geek culture because it's this kind of entertainment that uh, is coming from these ideas. And I, I think in a way that, you know, I don't remember ever seeing before. So it's great that the technology can kind of help people ultimately do what you really want, and that's get them to read and specifically read your books. I can't blame that. I think it's wonderful. Thank you so much. And thanks so much for coming today and talking to me. Absolutely. So uh, look for The Legends of Orkney by Elaine Adams. The first book, The Red Sun, uh, will be out in the fall. And if you're going to conventions uh, in uh, Denver and uh, San Diego Comic-Con and uh, we mentioned Gen Con and also uh, PAX, you'll have the opportunity to play the game and hopefully uh, in other uh, locations as well. Thanks very much. You got it. Take care. Thanks. 
Dan Parent coming up next. Dan has been uh, just shattering glass ceilings all over the place with the creation of Kevin Keller for Archie Comics, uh, Archie's uh, first uh, gay uh, character to uh, appear in Riverdale and immediately become a very important part of the Riverdale crowd. Uh, he has his own book. He has a novel. And uh, things continue to improve for uh, Kevin Keller. And it is great to see that the Archie audience has embraced Kevin and uh, that uh, he is uh, automatically part of the gang now. So I don't think he's actually in the Archies. That's too bad. They should, like, uh, set up a, a section so uh, Kevin could, uh, I don't know, play bass guitar or something like that. Now, another guitar. You can't go wrong with more than one guitar in the Archies. Who knows? But uh, let's talk to uh, Kevin Keller's parent, Dan Parent, now on Word Balloon. Very happy to have run into uh, one of the great Archie creators who has uh, evolved the Archie universe with his contributions. It's Dan Parent. It's a pleasure to see you, sir. Thank you. Good to be here. Absolutely. Uh, for people who don't know, your, one of your great contributions to the Archie universe is uh, Kevin Kelly. You are the creator of Kevin Kelly. That's true. That is true. Yes. It's been uh, five years now. And we've got a Kevin Kelly novel? There's, a, there's been a Kevin Keller novel that came out, uh, written by Paul Cooperberg, a really great uh, young reader uh, uh, book. And, um, yeah, I'm working on um, a new Kevin Keller series, which will be coming out in 2016. Excellent. 50. And I said Kelly, but it is Keller, and I apologize for that. No, dude, i got to tell you, like, great moments in Archie have happened now with Kevin. I really liked what Paul was doing in the afterlife, or, yes. or not in the or life, life with Archie. Life, yeah. With yeah. the adult Archies yeah. and stuff. And and had Kevin uh, marry his partner. Right, right. And they, and they had an awesome relationship, and, yeah. and, and, and also... Kevin's uh, story of being the new doctor in town and not, you know, the, the people maybe not crazy about that <laughs> Kevin that's is their true. doctor now. Yeah, yeah, that's true. It was great. And, um, I mean, it, it, it went to the point where Archie even took a bullet for poor Kevin. Literally, yeah. And it, yeah. was that the bullet that... Uh, that was the end of the series. That was, oh my yeah. God, yeah. crazy. And then, of course, your uh, specific uh, stories, one that always stood out to me, that I really thought was a, a great message, was uh, the George Takei uh, issue. Yeah, that was fun. Well, working with George, of course, is a dream country for anybody. And uh, yeah, he just, he's just, as nice as he appears to be, he's even nicer, if that's possible. But, um, yeah, he was great to come on board, um, you know, to support Kevin. And he also was an Archie Comics fan growing up. So that was always, you know, that kind of came full, full circle for him. And that was uh, definitely a highlight working with him. That's excellent. Uh, you are also uh, in the midst of, or actually they just promoted it. It's coming out soon. Uh, a big event in Archie, uh, another crossover. Archie versus Sharknado. That is true. Archie versus Sharknado. We, I was praying, hoping and praying for this to happen, and it did. Um, I'm a huge Sharknado fan, and I came across some of the guys from Sharknado in San Diego last year, and I did a commission for one of them and for David Latt, and, um, who's the producer, and it was just a lot of fun, and we were like, this would be a great project to do. So, you know, there's a lot of back and forth, and then there's sci-fi networks. There's a lot of things that are in the mix. We don't ever know if you can pull off something like this. Certainly. And then uh, once it looked like it wasn't going to happen, and then all of a sudden it was on again, and then before you knew it, we were doing it. So now it's going to be out uh, July 22nd, right at the same the same day that Shardando 3 comes out. Oh, fantastic. Is yeah. it a one-shot, or is it a miniseries? It's a one-shot. Okay. It's a giant size. It's a 48-page uh, one-shot. That's cool. Um, one, one full story. And uh, it's a lot of... Uh, I've never drawn so many sharks in my life. <laughs> oh man, Mr. Weatherby, maybe gonna have a shark uh, coming out of him, or well, you can't say, obviously. Uh, I don't. I don't even know everybody who, who gets who bites the dust from the sharks. Yet. I'm not even sure. I, I know a few people who go go, but <laughs> the, the story is being written as I'm drawing it. So, 
Outstanding. And it's being written by Anthony Ferrante, who is the okay. director of the Sharknado. Oh, wow, that's great. You know, that's the other interesting thing, and I know that uh, the Archie publishers have reached out to other celebrities to contribute Archie and stuff. Right. I don't know what the status is now of the Lena Dun uh, Dunham thing, if that's... I, I know that she's still writing it. Oh, great. You know, they, I know girls just finished their, their season, so... From what I understand, we're still getting a story in the near future, so that will be exciting. Actually, That'll be a four-part. I believe it's a four-part story. Very, very cool. And uh, Afterlife with Archie, the zombie story, is, is amazing. Yeah, and I always strong, always yeah. give it up to Francesca for, for his uh, great covers yeah, and all. They're, and they're interiors. Fantastic. Yeah, they're, they're amazing. That's really cool. So, and it, you know, and I always forget that you are not only an excellent Archie writer, but an excellent Archie artist. And people are obviously yeah. coming to you with commissions. I, I come to conventions here, and I do all kinds of uh, commissions and... Sketch covers are a big thing now, all of a sudden, so I do a lot of those. Uh, and I do a lot of, uh, you know, even commissions from home that, I, that people pick up here at the shows. So it's it's fun. It's, it gives me a chance to draw like a lot of superhero stuff that I don't normally get to draw, so I really like doing it. And, um, you know, one-of-a-kind one of artist is kind of a special thing for people, and I, I like to, to do it for them. And would you, you know, it, it just seems to me, I, I don't know how long you've been with Archie, but I really love that it seems since... John Goldwater, the grandson, has taken over the company, they really have just kind of thrown open the doors and wanted to make sure that Archie is for everyone. Right. And I think it is one of the, the most inclusive and really long before everyone else kind of jumped on the bagwagon of being more inclusive yeah, with yeah. diversity. Archie's been doing it. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, I've been there 28 years now. And Damn, man. I know, it's crazy. How did that happen? Um, <laughs> I started when I was seven. All right. All right. Um, but I, I, yeah, and then all the years I've been there, the last five or six have been the years where we've really taken a step forward, and um, it was a very important step. Uh, you know, John came on uh, six years ago now, and and it really turned the tide at Archie, and it was a it was a very necessary step because I had been there for years and I'd seen a lot of attempts at trying to make changes from the creative uh, people like myself. Sure. Uh, only to be sort of met with some resistance, and um, now it's it's just the opposite. Excellent. You know, we mentioned Paul Kupperberg. Al Milgram is a mainstay at Archie. Uh, did Stan Goldberg uh, pass away? Stan Goldberg passed away yeah. last year, yes. Okay. And he was with the Archie for, God, 30, 40 years. So. But these are men that, you know, really did kind of, and it's funny, well, I, Paul wasn't at Marvel, Paul was at DC, but these are guys that were big Silver and Go uh, silver Age and Bronze Age creators, and it's fun that they found this home at Archie. And, yeah. You know, even, and I, and I mentioned another guy right now that's uh, having uh, health issues and I hope comes back eventually is Norm Brayfogle, and it's been wonderful to see all these guys go to Archie, bring their talents, right. and and really, you know, freshen up the uh, the environment over there. Yeah, Norm, did, Norm made a big contribution with uh, Life with Archie. Yeah. He did the first uh, seven, eight, nine, ten issues. And, um, yeah, and he, I, I think he's on, he's on the men from what I hear. He, yeah, that's... He had a, quite a severe stroke, but yeah. he's uh, a strong guy, and I, I heard he's doing pretty well. So, you know, knock on wood that he continues. That's cool. So beyond Sharknado is, and, and also the... The, uh, if the soft reboot, I guess, of, of Kevin Keller, or what, anything else you can tell is coming up? Uh, yeah, it's going to be out this year. It's going to, um, probably the end of the summer, it's Kevin's older, on his own, living in the city. Oh, okay. And um, that's that's about it. He's he, uh, You'll see a few Archie characters visiting, but it's it's a, definitely a, a Kevin-centric series. Without the without okay. the, without Archie in it. Well, and I would imagine after six years that, he, that he's ready to kind of you yeah. know spread his wings yeah. and then do his own thing. That's yeah. cool. Yeah, but you'll see a, a couple 
visitors. Well, why not? That's cool. No, honestly, I, I've really been so delighted as an adult to come back to Archie and find the level of entertainment that you guys are all really producing. Well, it's, 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 we're having fun doing it. That's, you know. It comes through, man. And no, and I and I really do like. I'm like, I got to tell you, the best comic book that people aren't talking about or comic books are, are the ones that Archie are doing. And it's really cool that they're letting you guys get as creative as you can with the franchise. And uh, Dan Perrin is a big part of it. So I appreciate talking today. Thank you very much. Glad to be here. Want to turn things over to another Chicago legend, Israel Adonage, the great defensive player for the Chicago Bears, 11 seasons in the NFL. Uh, he has uh, retired, as he says, but uh, he has a series called The Protectors. Uh, athletes turn superheroes, and uh, he's got uh, high-class talent helping him uh, create this series. Uh, we've got uh, Bart Sears on art, Ron Mars uh, doing the great writing, and uh, the book is uh, coming out now through Madefire. Uh, the wonderful digital comics app. And uh, we talk about that relationship and as uh, Is steps down on football, just about being a geek and world building. And uh, it's always a pleasure. That guy always has a big smile on his face. He's a big giant man and uh, treats me like a little brother, which I always appreciate, even though I'm older than him. But it's uh, great to talk to Israel Adonage now on Word Balloon. Very happy to run into a guy who's becoming a regular at comic conventions. Former NFL great, Chicago Bear, Detroit Lion. It's Israel Adonage. Good to see you. Hey, thanks for having me. Absolutely. Congratulations. The Protectors is up and running. Yes. Uh, two printed issues, but I know also you are doing uh, the book online uh, through Madefire, yeah, correct? Yeah, we've partnered with Madefire. We have a, a motion book coming. We'll have 25 episodes for free for all the people who have come and support over the years, you know, waiting for us to get a monthly. We said, you know what, we're just going to go ahead. We're going to run the first story arc. It's on the it's on the system. It's on the platform. You can go download it now and just uh, connect with the characters of the story. And then um, we're just going to have a lot of fun uh, doing what we've been doing. Absolutely, man. How has it been? Because now you, you did finally retire this year. I know yeah. that. Yeah, we're, we're hanging up the cleats. We're done with football. And, and it's been amazing. You know, uh, now being able to, to just spend more time doing things like this. Typically, you know, I'd be in full training mode getting ready for the season. And now it's, you know, I wake up, the back feels good. My knees feel great, you know. And uh, we just get to create and have fun. So I'm, I'm looking forward to the next chapter. Yeah, and, and like without spoiling any any hard details and stuff, can you give us an idea of what you want to do? The protectors, and I, I'll let you give the concept, but essentially athletes that get superpowers. But go on. Yeah, so it's the mythology behind these athletes. There, there are athletes in today's world. Speed, power, strength, all this great ability that makes them such great entertainers in sport. It's really a byproduct of a greater power, a greater gift that they were given to save the human race, to save all of us from a dark force that controls the human race through the most powerful senator, media mogul, and religious you know, influence. So the protectors, these athletes now come together and say, you know, we're actually more than just athletes, and there's something going on on this earth that, that we've got to, to fight against, and uh, that outlines the whole story in the mythology. Very cool. You've got great people uh, behind you working on it. Bart Sears, Ron Mars, excellent comic book people, great pedigree. Um, and as you say, you're going to have 25 free uh, episodes on Madefire with Motion Comics and stuff. Madefire is an amazing app oh, and really doing things with, digitally with comics that a lot of other companies aren't doing. Absolutely. You know, uh, you talk about innovation and kind of being the tip of the spear when it comes to comics and, and you know, these motion books. The, the things and the ability uh, of what you can do with them, it's absolutely incredible. So we're looking forward to, uh, one, maintaining the integrity of what that comic experience is. So for all the traditional readers, we're going to maintain that integrity of that comic reading experience, uh, but we're going to also add a little bit of the sound and other things that, are, that may not... Um, 
be typical, but we'll also bring in other young readers. I mean, for us, a, a part of what we also want to do is we're a part of this Just Read campaign. And, um, you know, I really strongly believe that, that comics is a great platform for le- reading, reading comprehension and literacy because you get young kids who don't like to read, they don't like words, but they're captivated by the images. You know, Bart draws a, an ex- explosion scene and they're like, what is this? And because they're drawn in now, they, they're going to read. They want to find well, out. They want to know the story. Yeah, Absolutely. So, so there's an opportunity there, and we're, we're going to, you know, with Motion Books, an opportunity to add another element to draw in those young readers and other kids that otherwise may not be reading comics. Wonderful. And how do you see your role in terms of world building the protectors beyond this initial story? It's going to be five digital uh, comics, as I understand it, and probably a trade down the line, yeah. a hard trade and stuff. But yeah, you know, what is your, like, are you sitting down with Ron? And world building. Yeah. Are there going to be other writers involved as well? Yeah, so we've, we've started, uh, you're, you're right, the first five issues are completed. We've cut those up into the episodes that'll be on the motion book. And we've already laid out the second story arc. So issues six to ten, it's laid out, it's bananas. Cool. You know, and um, you know, we're just excited about rolling all those things out. And, and we'll do that. We're, we're ultimately looking to build a team, um, an incredible creative team. You know, Ron, Bart, some other talented individuals that will be able to not only just create our own content in-house, but the vision is then to be able to reach out here at C2E2. If you walk around, walk through Artist Alley, there's an incredible amount of talent uh, and young men and women that are great writers and illustrators, and we want to be able to put a brain trust together that we can basically take in all these guys and say, you know, every year we're going to do another property or two properties for someone out there that's doing great things that just needs exposure, that just needs experience, and, and hopefully, you know, with that, we'll be able to share those stories of, of the talent that's out there with the world. So like a football experience, you're scouting now. Right. There, you're putting them through the combine. Exactly. Are you making them do any uh, hurdles or yeah. any, any, any crazy exercises or anything? Yeah, so we actually we have our, our new headquarters here, our, our offices where we'll be doing all our stuff. So I'll be, I'll be sure to put in like a little gym in there. And all the artists and all the team will, will have like a little combine set up where they got to do chin-ups, push-ups. Awesome. Every day. Now you got more free time. Are you enjoying any of the uh, gig stuff that's out there TV, movie-wise? Do you have more time? I mean, and I'll... And, I, and it's okay, because all of us are behind on all these shows. But have you had a chance to watch any of the new so, stuff? So behind. I watched the, the first two seasons of uh, Arrow. Outstanding. Cool. I'm waiting till the whole Flash thing comes on my Netflix, and I'm going to catch up on that. And and um, and then just really excited about, uh, what, May 1st is Age of Ultron? That's right. You know, um, and then uh, Star Wars, nuts. So just excited about, like, just the, the series um, of things in, down the pipeline that really all come from this place where we are, you know, the, the, the comic world. So very exciting. And it's got to inspire you, obviously, with the world building that you're doing with your properties. Yeah, absolutely. And, um, you know, on the micro level, our focus is just telling the greatest story and, and, and doing a great comic. But with everything that you're going on, like, like you're alluding to, I mean, just the talks that already we've been having about peripheral stuff, it's just it's overwhelming and exciting. So, uh, yeah, right now, today, we just want to continue to, to tell the story, get to the second arc, finish issue 10, and whatever out, whatever's out there that's for us and that, that you know, um, comes to us, we'll, we'll, be, we'll be happy to do and, and uh, explore. Uh, but at the end of the day, it's about telling the stories and just doing what we've been doing all this morning, taking pictures with people, laughing with our fans, our supporters, and and um, just enjoying doing what we do. Congratulations on building this base. You've been putting this together for the last couple of years, and I know that you're very serious about this, and you take it as seriously as your football and stuff, and I think your passion for this comes through. So continued success. I appreciate the time, and uh, look forward to ARC 2 as well. So 
keep it up, Is Thank you so much. I appreciate it. Thanks. Awesome. There we go. Beautiful. That worked well. Thank you, sir. You're a good man. Of course. Oh, that'd be lovely. Thank you. Now we'll do the number 10. Here comes Mike Choi, my friend, Citizen Choi, a great uh, artist for a long time, uh, a buddy of mine on the Bendis boards as well. And over the years, uh, we just got to be good uh, friends. We're both fight fans, so we always talk boxing. We're excited about Mayweather and Pacquiao this coming weekend. And uh, Mike uh, checked out from uh, comics for a little while, got into the gaming world, and uh, is uh, kind of inching his way back into comics full time. So it's a pleasure to welcome Mike Choi back and uh, hear about what's going on in his mind right now on Word Balloon. Happy to make a moment to uh, talk to one of my favorite uh, former Marvel artists, although he's back doing some stuff with Marvel. It's Mike Choi. Good to see you, man. Good to see you, man. Excellent. Great classic long run on uh, the X-Men with uh, Brubaker back in the day. Yeah, that was a lot of fun um, doing uh, stuff with uh, Craig Kyle and uh, Chris Yost on uh, X-Force was a lot of fun. and. Uh, Astonishing Thor. Yeah, I mean, like, I've been all over the place, really. Absolutely. And, man, I think about some of these writers that you've worked with and stuff. Kyle and Yost are just killing it in animation and stuff. And Yeah, and they wrote uh, they wrote Thor 2 and Thor 3. That's right. Yeah. Man, I'll tell you, Brubaker's doing well with uh, his stuff. Now, you stepped away from comics for a little while, and you've been in uh, the computer gaming world, right? Yeah, I, I did video games for the last two and a half years. Uh, that was really that was really good. I was on staff. I was uh, salaried. That was really great, like, <laughs> yeah. like being 9 to 5 and not having to take the work home with you. And uh, that was really good, but I don't really play video games, and I'm a huge comic book fan and comic book nerd, so... You know, it's like coming home again, you know? So you're coming back. Yeah, you've been doing some covers for Iron Man lately. Yeah, I've been doing all the covers for uh, the Iron Man title, and uh, I just got done with an issue of S.H.I.E.L.D. Um, just to get my feet back in the water, I suppose. You did uh, that issue of S.H.I.E.L.D. with uh, Mark Wade, right? Mark Wade, uh, yeah, and uh, I did issue four. That was the uh, that was the book with the rotating artists. Um, that was a lot of fun to do, and uh, Mark Wade's a great writer. boy. What, is there anything you can take from... Your, that you took from comics bringing it into gaming or vice versa, anything that you did with gaming that you're able to bring to comics? Um, one of the biggest things about uh, the video games that was attractive to me um, was the fact that I'd be able to get to design my own characters and, and stuff like that from the ground up, which was you know, just a lot of fun. I mean, my argument at the time was, you know, I, I could either do that or just draw you know, characters that were designed in the 60s, is how I'd put it, but like, or how I thought of it. But, but um, to be completely honest, like that was a great, you know, uh, way to exercise a certain muscle, I suppose. But you know, the reason why I, I come back to Marvel and to some extent DC as well is because uh, I've just been such a huge fan of those characters, and that's what I do. Is like, um, even on my spare time, I like drawing the characters that I'm a huge fan of. For example, uh, you know, Optimus Prime or whatever. Just just characters that you know I want to just have my portrayal of. So coming back to Marvel is like it, it really is like coming home. Very cool. I was wondering, and I've been talking about this with a lot of the creators on the podcast, um, it used to be working for DC and Marvel was like the pinnacle, the if not final destination, the, all right, you've made it, you've arrived, and, and this is where you want to stay, and as long as you can stay there, that's great. It seems now that working at DC and Marvel is a mid-career point where you get your name out there, you gather an audience, and then hopefully do develop some of your own ideas. Right. And I, any thoughts on that? I, I agree with that to some extent, which is that I think nowadays uh, having... Sorry, that was Chris Wiminga. He's a good friend of mine, but I hate him. Uh, uh, sorry. Um, no problem. Keep going. Uh, I agree with that to some extent. I, I don't think it's as, it's as important nowadays to establish a, an audience 
per se, like in the Marvel and you know DC universe per se, just because I do think it's a completely different audience. Um, to be honest, like the the people who might read. I mean, there might be some crossover, like uh, like Jamie McKelvey, like like him having worked on, uh, you know, the titles for Marvel might have helped him with Wicked and Divine. But I honestly think that it, you know, you have your Fiona Staples who did Saga is, you know, doing so well there, and I cannot remember the last Marvel or DC book she ever worked on. That's fair. So so like uh, if she did work on any Marvel or DC books, so. Um, she did, actually. She did? She, okay. she did a couple. Okay, yeah. But, all right, well, then let me ask you this dynamic, because right now it seems, with creator-owned stuff, it's a great opportunity, uh-huh. but it's almost like the writer is almost like the godfather and kind of the focus of, hey, I want to read this new Ed Brubaker book. Right. It's drawn by Steve Epting. Steve Epting has a wonderful career and has a following, right. but they're coming through the door because they know about Ed's writing storytelling. Uh-huh. And I don't know how many artists are able to to do that on their own and, and it, how much experimentation. I just talked to Gene Ha. He's, you know, he's starting to experiment with a Kickstarter that he wrote and, and drew and everything. Right. Uh, I'll be completely honest with you. I, I tried to do the writing myself and, like, man, <laughs> like, it's hard. And also, like, A, you, you know, you think to yourself, I'm just going to draw what I want to draw and the writing comes second, but it does not tell for, like, I, I'm a story first kind of guy. And uh, the fact that whatever I do, I would not read, you know, is kind of like, you know, detracting. So, um, honestly, like, uh, I've, been, I've been talking to uh, Craig Kyle. I've had regular meetings with him. Uh, I've had a great relationship. We have two titles that we're working on right now. Fantastic. But you know what, though? I, I mean, although I do love it and I love creating the, uh, you know, the characters and drawing out scenes and stuff, um, there, there really is nothing like drawing the characters that you were a fan of. And especially, like... Man, I drew Scarlet Witch for the first time ever, and uh, that was a lot of fun to me. You know, like, shoot, it's Scarlet Witch, and uh, you know, I, there's no substitution for that. I mean, the first time I drew Batman, I was like, holy crap, it's Batman! You know, it's it's a, uh, you know, people say stuff like, you know, you're just working for the man, or you know, you're not selling out, but like, you know, you should be working for yourself. But I really do think they're like completely different ways of thinking okay. uh, I'm going to be a San Antonio Spurs fan for the rest of my life it doesn't mean I have any desire whatsoever to create my own basketball team you know what I mean <laughs> or to coach a basketball team or to play basketball or whatever like I'm, I'm so happy just being a fan and uh, I think that's the way it is with Marvel and DC books like these books that I've been reading forever are there any uh, heroes left on your bucket list that you uh, still want to get to Marvel and DC wise you know what every time I think that there is one um, like I will get a kick out of drawing just random characters that I never thought I'd have a kick out of drawing, like like Scarlet Witch, for example. Um, not really. I mean, there there's like titles that I am perfectly happy just being a fan of. 100 Bullets is my favorite book of all time. No desire to draw any of those characters in canon. You know? Fair enough. Same okay. thing with Sandman. Maybe Sandman, but uh, definitely not with Preacher or okay. 100 Bullets. Uh, what is it? Risso and uh, Risso and Dylan just own those titles, so like no desire whatsoever. I'm just going to be a fan. That's awesome, man. Well, and that's cool and refreshing that you're still finding joy working for the big two because I'm sure with the success of people like Kirkman and Brubaker and Brian K. Vaughn and, and Staples with Saga, it does seem like, all right, I'll put my time in, but then let me get the hell out of here and do my own thing. So it's great that you are still a fan and can enjoy both realms equally. It seems. Yeah, I, I would love to enjoy both realms, like you said, um, but definitely both realms. Like, I hear you, man. Yeah, I, I'm a huge fanboy. Like, a lot of the um, artists who, um, 
Yeah, a lot of the artists who do do their creative own stuff, like whose stuff I really love. I mean, uh, I'm not going to mention names, but a lot of them don't read Marvel or DC books. I mean, maybe a, a lot of them probably do, but a lot of the ones I do know, like, you know, aren't really fans anymore. They, they are a fan of the medium, absolutely. But in terms of just, you know, keeping up with the, uh, you know, Secret War and, like, you know, all, all that stuff, I mean, they're kind of not burnt out, but they're just kind of, like, busy doing their own thing. And I'm just happy just being a fanboy. Oh, yeah. I'm, I'm a fan of, like, uh, the creator-owned creator stuff that they're doing, too. Sure. But, again, like, yeah, I think it's two totally, completely different ways of thinking, and, uh, yeah, I'd love to try to do both. Well, I'm looking forward to seeing both uh, from you. It sounds like you've got some neat stuff brewing, uh, both at uh, Marvel and uh, this uh, Kyle and uh, you uh, collaboration. Sounds interesting, so uh, you'll uh, we'll make time and do it on the podcast at some point and talk more about it. Yeah, absolutely. I'm looking forward to it. Excellent. My choice. Good seeing you, by the way. Pleasure. Thank you very much. Next up on Recopen uh, is a Chicago creator who's uh, been making a very distinct uh, action-adventure book uh, featuring uh, real history of uh, some uh, amazing battles that happened in Korea a long, long time ago. And uh, we get a very good uh, idea of what kind of uh, book he is producing. And uh, he has uh, got a Kickstarter campaign to uh, turn it into a trade. But I was happy to give uh, Henri some time to talk about it. So here he is now, Henri Kompin, now on Word Malone. Taking a moment with Henri Kompin, who uh, is a local Chicago creator and uh, it has a new Kickstarter campaign, but uh, has been doing a lot of uh, interesting uh, Asian uh, fantasy action stuff for quite some time here in Chicago. So great to see you, Henri. Yeah, thanks for uh, meeting with me, John. You got a Kickstarter campaign getting yeah. started. Uh, give us the pitch. Yeah, awesome. So my book's about a Korean admiral that battled the Japanese in the 1500s. He was outnumbered 10 to 1, and he beat him 23 times in a row without losing. And uh, for the last five years, uh, I've been self-publishing the book. It's been rejected by pretty much every publisher, but um, it, you know, due to the fact that we're in a market that typically goes for like superhero stuff, and you know, so alternative stuff like this, kind of, I, I ended up doing it on my own. So sure. I found financing, and I put out seven issues to date, and then my funding fell through for reasons unrelated to the book's success. We've hand-sold uh, over 40,000 books at this point, and Fantastic. we're on, on point to, to sell 50,000 bo uh, books this year. Um, but now we need uh, help from uh, Kickstarter backers in order to fund uh, the rest of the series. So all the money that we're raising for our Kickstarter is going right into production. None of it's going towards um, paying for a salary for me or, you know, sponsoring any conventions. It's all for the art. Now I'm going to ask, like, dumb farmer questions no. because of the distinctions and my own ignorance about manga and other Asian uh comic books so the korean comic book as opposed to the japanese comic book is that uh product is that more of a uh, a specific uh, market in terms of readership and everything you know do people make that distinction at all with with um when you do something that's korean based rather than you know the uh you know like i said manga and, and things like that uh, you know is that a tougher sell is that why it's a tougher sell um you know i think that a lot of people come in here with that kind of an ambition but the thing is is that we're making um this is an a western take on eastern comics we're making this like an american comic i mean we even have stan lee who wrote the forward to the book and this is all this book is being put together the marvel way you know and we, we go you know we use the same process well then what inspired you to uh you know choose the, the Korean background for, for an action well, I think, fantasy. I think anybody who's trying to, to break into comics in general uh, you know, needs to have some sort of edge in order to set themselves apart. If you want to get noticed, you gotta sure. you got to make a bang. 
So um, I discovered this uh, piece of history and uh, this historical figure that actually existed, and I'm like, this is a real life hero. This is this is a. The real world version of Batman. So uh, I started doing all this research, and I went to Korea a number of times. I worked with the army and navy, and you know I wanted the historical facts not to be bogged down in the story because the art, everything serves the story and what we're doing. And you know, so I studied the history to get an understanding of how to portray the battles. But then, in terms of like you know actually producing the story. Um, we wanted to do things the way you know everybody in America does it, and make it interesting and engaging for everybody, not just the Korean audience, not just the American audience, but for a worldwide audience. Cool. Tell me about your artist. Okay, so um, my artist is from Italy. Uh, his name is Giovanni Timpano. Uh, he uh, has done work uh, for IDW on uh, Hellraiser, uh, GI Joe, and is currently uh, working on The Shadow um, for Dynamite. Um, he was with us for five issues, and then we got a new artist that took over from there. We wanted to change up, vary up the style a little bit. And uh, our new artist, his name is uh, L.R. Naclius, and uh, he's very, uh, he brings like a Frank Rosetta-esque element to our, to the art of the book. And uh, the entire team's actually international. If you don't mind, I'd like to tell you about everybody else. So we have a colorist from Argentina. Her name is Adriana De Los Santos. She is just a magician when she's just working on these pages. She does fully colored, fully painted pages. And um, our letterer is Joel Saavedra. He's, he's a master at lettering. He's not even from America, and, like, he knows what's up. <laughs> and <laughs> Really? No problems with the English language and everything? No, no. You know, he, no good. You know he, he, he catches on real quick. He Great. Makes, he, you know, we sometimes go through, like, you know, ten drafts of stuff, but he catches on. And finally, um, my editor and my co-writer is David Anthony Kraft, who... Yeah, give people... Give people the background of David Anthony yeah, Kraft. Yeah. Uh, Dave Kraft, he started his days at Marvel. He was editing pretty much any every title at Marvel. Um, and then he started writing The Defenders, and he had like a very memorable run on that, which is now uh, becoming a series on Netflix. That's exactly right. Yeah. And uh, aside from that, uh, Dave wrote She-Hulk. He had a huge run on that. He really made that character memorable. And uh, he also put together the first Beatles comic. And right. uh, after that, he went on to uh, do take on his own publishing venture with uh, Comics Interview. Comics Interview, one of the best comic journalism magazines of its day. Really, like, one of my templates in terms of this is the type of answers I want to get from people. And I, I just have tremendous respect for him. But by all means, keep going with the rest of it. But I had to stop at Comics Interview. Because if you, people find that in the dollar bins or whatever, they need to get it. And I know also he, for a while... He had like done a limited run of uh, hardback uh, collections of his comics interview oh, yeah. stuff. Oh yeah. So yeah, he's... And, and, and folks can actually buy that right now on CO2 Comics. They have like this huge collection of everything he's done, and it's really just amazing stuff. Dave has taught me an incredible amount about making comics, publishing comics, and everything. I we, we wouldn't be where we are today without Dave, and uh, you know he's he's a huge. I always mention him last because you know he's he adds such a huge element to everything. Every, every team member is extremely important to this process, but, you know, Dave really helps bring it all together. He gives us the professional face that we need in order to look like, you know, we know what we're doing, so. Do you, uh, to make, you know, people aware of this and everything, do you go beyond 
the comic market to uh, like you know get this out there. I mean, again, it's you know kind of a historical comic book yeah. and everything. So kind of in the same way that Shan Hour did with like an Age of Bronze or something like that. Do you do you take it to any uh, libraries or anything like that, or you know? You know, we've had a we've had a huge challenge with getting this in the direct market and libraries because it's not a monthly book. Yusun Shin is a comic that comes out when it's ready. Sure. So we, sometimes it might take three months for us to get a book out. Sometimes six months, but we're giving our readers the best of what we have to offer. We don't do variants. You know, we don't do uh, you know anything else other than our best work. And yeah, so so how are you gonna how are you, you know the Kickstarter yeah, is to collect it basically? That, yeah, you know. it's it's to keep it's to keep uh, the production going so we can actually finish what we started. We we're uh, working on our double on the double size conclusion to our second arc right now. You should choose okay. a trilogy broken up into twelve uh, issues. Okay, each each of them is three arcs. So um, we're working on the conclusion to the next to the next second arc. arc. Yeah, so we're trying to fund that the graphic novel to that which will be collected after we're you know done with the fourth issue and then the final arc of the entire series after that we're we're, we're done with the book okay cool so, yeah awesome man well I wish you luck uh, people can find uh, Yi Sushin on, uh, on Kickstarter if they yeah. search for that or if they search for uh, Henri uh, Copen, uh, Copen, and it's uh, O-N-R-I-E, K-O-M-P-A-N. I did that without my glasses. No, that's awesome. Which is, well, yeah, you know, it's, that's, yeah, there's my nearsighted superpower. But no, it's good to see you, man. Good luck. Yeah. Show's been going okay? It's been going great. We, we had How a record How you selling and everything? Uh, we sold uh, 354 books yesterday, which Fantastic, just alone man. yesterday, which is more than we've Outstanding. ever Outstanding. Hey, that's yeah. awesome, man. Yeah, yeah. No, so that's what you hope for when you're... we got a good crowd here, so, you know, that Good crowd. I want to tell you. Good yeah. crowd. Absolutely. You know, absolutely. <laughs> no, I'm with you, man. That's awesome. Yeah. Very cool. Well, good luck with this. Thank you. And uh, continued success. And, uh, no, you got a great crew, and it's a great product, so uh, keep it up. Thank you, John. I appreciate it. Tony Bedard's been a guy that I've always enjoyed his writing. Uh, wonderful work at DC way back in the day. Great cross-gen work on uh, some uh, really fun series. And uh, Convergence gave him the opportunity to say goodbye to some old uh, DC continuity. And uh, he's doing several books for them. Some really, really good stories on uh, Green Lantern, Aquaman, a few of the others. And we talk about those and more now with Tony Bedard on Word Balloon. Very happy to run into Tony Bedard, who's been doing great work for a long time, especially for DC Comics. His wonderful run on Rebels. And Tony, in particular, has been working on uh, uh, the Convergence uh, event and doing some of those wrap-ups to old DC continuity. Yeah. And uh, one in particular we were just talking about that I loved was the Aquaman story. Aquaman stuck in Gotham City without real water to help himself. Right, yeah. And it's also the Aquaman back when he had that weird harpoon hand thing, <laughs> you know, which is, that was the Aquaman when I started working as an um, editor at DC that we had. Um, I, I'm such an Aquaman nut. And, and the funny thing is, like, I want to do classic Aquaman one day, but I, I got the evil Aquaman in uh, Flashpoint. Now I got to do Hook Hand. So I'm working my way up. Maybe I'll get to do, you know, happy Aquaman one day. But this was a whole lot of fun, actually. Um, well, and tell me, yeah, which, and I, because I know I read a couple of the stories. Where did he, evil Aquaman pop up? Um, well, in Flashpoint, he was one of the main villains. He had drowned half of Europe. Oh, yeah. And, and it was basically him versus um, Wonder Woman. Uh, who uh, shows up, Evil Wonder Woman from Flashpoint, shows up in my um, Speed Force, uh, which is the Wally West uh, comic that we, that we just uh, put out. And that was fun, too, because that was my Flash when I started working as an editor and when I was reading. So, you know, it's, it's been great to revisit a lot of these moments in DC continuity from when I was a reader, an editor, and, and also uh, early on in my writing. 
And uh, Speed Force uh, is uh, Wally West with his uh, two kids. Yes. Who uh, ultimately, uh, the kids he had with Linda. Yeah, yeah. And again, more continuity that's wiped away, but nice to see them back. And that was kind of a brief but strange, you know, moment for The Flash. Yeah, but, you know, just everybody has their own version of a, of a particular character. For example, Kyle Rayner is my Green Lantern, even though Hal is the Green Lantern. Um, Wally West is my Flash, and so it was really cool to get to, to revisit him, especially since he went away after the whole New 52 thing, and I think he was one of the most sorely missed characters in DC. Are there any, as DC wraps up, not only the current continuity, but it says goodbye to a lot of past continuities with this convergence event. Are there any uh, specific kind of moments that you wish you would have had a shot at in terms of old DC continuity? I really lucked out on, on Convergence, honestly, because I, I got to do Kyle uh, it, Kyle and Hal at the most controversial moment in either of their uh, histories. Green Lanterns, yeah. Yeah, it was immediately after the whole uh, Kyle lost his, his girlfriend uh, to a, a killer refrigerator. And, That's um, right. Uh, and Hal had just murdered the whole Green Lantern Corps. Um, and that is the moment at which my Green Lantern story takes place immediately afterwards. Um, but that actually was really interesting to me because both of those stories... You know, there's some folks who hate them, some folks who love them. I think they're both really valid stories. Uh, and and uh, like I said, revisiting Wally. Um, and, and Aquaman's my favorite. God, I, I, love, awesome. I love working on that character. But I really congratulate you in getting some real character moments. You've only got, between the two issues, 40 pages to work with. Yeah. And also, there are those moments of the Convergence event in general that have to, like, take up a couple pages. Mm -hmm. So that's, it really is tough to get some good character moments. And I know you achieved that in the Green Lantern book mm -hmm. with uh, Parallax and Kyle. And okay. how really kind of, uh, because they're all depowered right. in this situation, Hal's no longer under the influence of Parallax, knows the crimes he's committed, and is yeah. really haunted by them in a way that I don't think we got to see until much, much later. Right, yeah. It, that just made sense to me. Um, uh, I actually got, a, I think, a, a tweet from somebody who was like, no, no, you know, uh, you shouldn't, you know, make him regret that. Like, he actually had good reasons for doing it. I'm thinking... Uh, you know, yeah, for killing, for yeah, mass genocide. Killing spree, yeah, yeah, probably not. But, um, you know, everybody's got their take <laughs> on these things. Uh, you know, the funny thing, though, you said that uh, only 40 uh, um, pages in which to do it. If you if you go and read the page count, we actually got to do 22-page issues. Oh, good. Like we used to do back in the day. Oh, that's great, So we, did, we not only got to revisit these old moments in continuity, it was almost like writing a comic from, from 92 when I started in, in comics or from uh, 2000 when I was editing, you know. <laughs> That's I missed cool. those two pages. I understand, man. No. Are uh, any anything else uh, coming up for you on the horizon that you can talk about? Uh, no, I, at, at the moment, no. We, we but you got some things secret that are, are turning. Good, man. Uh, nothing. Uh, I'm also working, uh, oddly enough, in, in uh, video games. And, what are you doing for video games? Um, I'm working at uh, Volition Studios, uh, who made the Saints Row series, on something that I can't talk about either. All right. But it is huge. Um, it's really wildly ambitious, and, and uh, I I can't wait until we announce it. It's going to be another few months, but uh, that's that's been a lot of fun. Completely different. From writing comics, um, but that's also been nice. After 20 years of doing the same thing, it's great to stretch a few other, you know, creative muscles. Man, you're an inventive storyteller and always has been in oh, comics, you. and I'm glad that video games have the opportunity to dip in the Tony Bedard talent and get something good out of it. So keep it up, and uh, looking forward to the announcements that are coming up. Oh, thank you very much. Great running into you here, man. It's a wonderful show. Time to wrap things up with Gail Simone. I uh, did this uh, kind of interview with her last year as well, and Gail's uh, power continues to grow in the comics industry. She is event 
Uh, she's not the story editor, but she really is kind of the showrunner for Dynamite's big event, uh, Sword of Swords. And uh, it is great to uh, see that uh, she is able to, uh, you know, kind of orchestrate this event with a lot of cool female heroes led by Red Sonia and others. And uh, it spans time, as she explains. And we talk about a lot of issues. And I'm always appreciative of uh, Gail's candor, humor and uh, insight. So it was wonderful on Sunday to sit down with Gail Simone. Ah, it's Sunday morning at a con. It must mean that Gail Simone is making time for me, and that's always appreciated. It's great to see you. Oh, it's good to see you too, John. This has been an amazing convention. Yeah, and I and and I'm already. It's family day here at C2E2, and I'm already seeing a lot more kids today dressed in costume and reading comics, and that is always exciting. Absolutely, I am thrilled with everything you're doing because uh, it really seems like. You are, as I told you when I heard about your Red Sonia event, that you are wielding more power, that you're reigning supreme here. Uh, and, and I'm really glad that you're getting this kind of story editor beyond writing, but like event uh, coordinator opportunity. Yeah, it's really fun. You know, people would ask me in the past, you know, would you, do you ever see yourself being coming an editor or working like on the company level or something? And I always said, well, not really because my brain just doesn't work that way. It's, I'm much more creative. Plus, I work at night. So day job at this point probably wouldn't work. Um, but I am I am interested in being like a showrunner type of thing for a comic book story, and that's what we're doing with Swords of Sorrow. And I have to admit, I do really enjoy it. It's been really fun working with these ta- other talented writers and artists, and kind of coordinating an overall story that makes sense. So yes, I'm loving it, and it's coming out amazing. Give us the ten cent uh, pitch on uh, Sword of Sorrow. Swords of Sorrow. Yes, Swords of Sorrow. Basically, we have a cosmic prince who's like this horrible, horrible villain, and uh, these women are giving each a sword of sorrow that will help them to defeat him. And so there's lots of things take place that he travels through time and dimension and all that. So it takes place on a lot of different worlds with different characters on worlds that they aren't normally on. So we'll have Jennifer Blood and Vampirella together, Jungle Girl and Red Sonia, uh, Kato and Masquerade, and just all these really fun characters that are having to, uh, you know, even though they may not like each other too well, they're going to have to try to defeat this main villain who's just horrifying. And um, each... Each week, a sort of—I mean, each month—a sort of sorrow issue comes out, and then each week, one of the miniseries comes out. So it's very easy to follow. Um, you can have the overarching story if you just read the Swords of Sorrow issues, but then you can have these side adventures that are amazing as well, and easy to keep track of and not overwhelming. Are more women going to be working on the on the side projects as well? Oh yeah, yeah. yeah we have awesome. Marguerite Bennett, G. Willa Wilson, Erica Schultz, Mickey Kendall. Um, Nancy Collins, and I'm sure that I'm just blanking on some, but amazing writers, and they did an incredible job. It's just been a delight when the scripts come in, and and then you know just a little bit of coordinating, and I don't, I might, they made my job easy, put it that way. <laughs> Understood, and you know it is so great. Now, um, maybe get into this a little bit later as well. Uh, that in the days when you, you seemed to be the only one on the panel that was a woman, then you and Kelly Sue, and now there really are. The numbers are increasing, and and truly, not only in this event, but also uh, because a lot of these women as well have, have done it on their own. But the opportunities you were giving in the Rensonia anthologies, I think, and you're just giving the spotlight to more women, and I think the word is getting out there, and people well, are noticing. Yes, and then we have, you know, hire this woman that uh, Janelle asked Janelle, yeah, absolutely. And, and then lots of people are getting together. We also have groups online that people don't really know about <laughs> that aren't really public too, and but. 
Um, what I saw yesterday, just as an example, I saw Marguerite Bennett walking through the convention. She didn't see me, but she was walking like she owned the place. And I'm thinking to myself that, yes, this is awesome. <laughs> it's fantastic. Absolutely. And um, I also well, I want to talk about Red Sonia as a character because... I think you've really opened up the character in so many ways that, you know, we really never saw until you really got a hold of it. And, and uh, you're taking her in a lot of great places in three different parts of her life. The, the, the Conan crossover that you did with Jim Zub and everything, I, I think is really this great opportunity. Oh, thank you so much. And the thing about Red Sonia is um, I love barbarian stories and barbarian comics, and I always have. I like that unsavory, down-to-earth, bloody, you know, no-bullshit kind of story. And um, But I didn't really think I wanted to write Red Sonia, and it really was my mom, who loves Red Sonia, who just literally nagged me to death, as moms will do, into writing it. And so I finally said, okay, well, I'm just going to do six issues for my mom. And uh, then once I started writing it and getting into her character and how... Um, it would. Re- I really thought it would work to tell some modern themes in this this barbarian world, and uh, I would sit down to write just to, like think. Oh, I'm just going to write a couple pages, and then I'm going to get back to this other stuff. And I'd look up, and it'd be 12 pages later. I just really enjoyed writing her. So six issues has turned into 18 issues plus miniseries, and and I uh, really have loved it. That's awesome, and I know in particular Scott was saying uh, that uh, the second arc is really uh, his favorite. And I <laughs> he just likes to see that weird sense of humor come out more, I think. And, <laughs> and, and also, I think there's a, a little bit of an idea that only someone with my weird sense of humor would tell that long of an arc where she's so stinky that she can't get laid. <laughs> <laughs> I remember that story, absolutely, that's fantastic. <laughs> Jesus. Uh, in, in D.C., uh, I got to say, of the moment, uh, the Convergence uh, story with Nightwing and Oracle, uh, it, good opportunity to kind of t- uh, tell that story and everything? That was so fun, and, and that was another thing that I got tricked into doing, kind of, because um, I thought I'd never write Oracle again, obviously. And um, I got an email one Friday at the end of the workday from Dan saying, Gail, what about Oracle? And then the weekend happens, and he just, he must have known that was going to drive me completely insane all weekend. And then I get a couple other emails that are just like one-sentence emails that don't answer the question, really. And so finally he says, well, we're going to do this thing, and I really would like it if you would write an Oracle and Nightwing story uh, for it. And, uh, you know, would you be able to do that? And I'm like, hell yes, I'd be able to do that. And it really was a blast. And as soon as I found out that Jan was going to be the artist, it's like, oh, we have to have the Hawks in it. And that just made it, um, you know, a done deal for me as far as um, what the story was going to be and, and how it was going to look, which is amazing. Well, the great thing is Barbara Gordon and Dick Grayson are, so, I mean, we've loved these characters for decades. And your love always comes through when you write them. And, you know, everyone remembers that one issue of Nightwing. Was it Seven, where they're on the trapeze and, you know... Uh, oh, right, yeah. Was that you or Chuck? Um, I think it was... I'm not sure. I think it was... <laughs> I think I oh, okay. I had a different issue where they were, like, on a rooftop. All right, there you go. All right, fair <laughs> enough. But that's what I mean, like... I, and I was saying this to... My observation on the Convergence books is... You and Rucka with the question and stuff, you really are, you know, you're intimate with these characters from a writer-creation standpoint and, and can really give us character in a way that some of these other books, just there's not that connection. And, and I think you guys have really been able to show 
big character moments in the four, you know, 20 or 22 pages you're given in the two issues. Well, thank you very much. I tend to not be able to write stories unless I have some emotional connection. If I don't have one to start with, like with Red Sonia, I have to find it. Um, otherwise, I just can't write it. It becomes tedious and it won't be good anyway. And so that's where a lot of the work is actually done um, on the writing end of it is finding that emotional connection and then a way to make it with the reader have the character make it with the reader and how about creating new characters as you have alongside the established characters? It's been great to see you be able to do that in Secret Six and Batgirl and, and create these new villains and, and heroes as well. And, uh, you know, and yeah, and the public seems to like eat up the new characters and really enjoy it. Well, I love doing it because I love trying to um, fill a void, basically, and create something that I feel doesn't exist already and that there's a need for it. And so whenever I sit down and I am creating new characters, that's kind of how I approach it, is if I, you know, I don't want to write a character we've already seen, you know, 25 times, 100 times, whatever. And it's just a great delight. And now I'm focusing on some creator-owned stuff, and the first thing that will come out will be um, Clean Room from Vertigo, which will come out in the fall. And that's a, a horror book that is completely different from Red Sonia or Batgirl or any of the other things that I've written that I'm really proud of and the art is amazing and Jenny Frizen's doing these gorgeously disturbing covers. Fantastic. <laughs> so very excited about that. And who's your artist interiors for um, that? Yeah, the interiors are, are done by John Davis Hunt who's a video game designer from London Cool. and they are so charismatic and uh, the one thing though, the one bone I have to pick kind of is I was determined I was not going to write another character with red hair because <laughs> after all even Catman has red hair so I was determined I wasn't going to write another character with red hair because people were asking me all the time is that all you're going to write is characters with red hair and so I'm like no and so I turned in the character description for our lead character Astrid and she had dark hair and and um when John sent the designs back, she had red hair. And he said, I just thought this looked better. I'm like, oh, okay, it, do it does look amazing. So, okay, I'm writing another redhead. So, um, but it's just very charismatic and very disturbing. And the horror in it looks very new and fresh and terrifying. Even my editor gets scared every time she reads the script. And then when she sees the art, she gets scared all over again. So that's kind of what we want. It's it's a very mature, terrifying, modern story. And it, is there another uh, creator-owned project as well, or is this? Um, the... There is, but I'm not really talking okay. about that at this okay. point. Um, a couple more months, we'll probably start talking about that. Okay. And um, this, you know, I was talking about this with Mark Wade on uh, on Thursday before the convention, and and I wanted to hear your observation. For years, and in fact, as you were coming up as well, DC and Marvel really was the pinnacle, and that's really like where you wanted to be, period. And now we've kind of reached an interesting point in the market where people follow you guys to uh, these other publishers, Image, whatever, and create our own stuff. Well, they, hey, man, you know, honestly, the, the Kickstarter success that you were able to have with California and everything, I think, speaks a lot. And truly, and Gail... creator owned, actually. Go on. We're working on volume two for Leaving Megalopolis. Excellent. And I are, so, yeah, that. That's Very cool. But but I almost like, and, and, and college is the wrong analogy, but it almost seems like, as opposed to being the pinnacle, it's make your name at DC and Marvel, if, if possible, if the door is open to you, and then take that audience and, and you know, see see you that if they do follow right. you. And and clearly, you're, you're being modest. And, I, and, and also, I know maybe you're being more realistic. <laughs> but it seems like you're following, you know, does want to see what's Gail writing next. Well, 
I hope so. I hope I hope they do, and I hope they give these projects a chance because they are different and they can't exist really in this way in a mainstream world. Sure. And that's the thing is is I didn't set out like necessarily. You know, I was a blogger and then I did a column, and I didn't. Nece- I was a hairdresser while doing all this, so I didn't necessarily set out to you know write the pinnacle character at a mainstream comic. I just I was given some opportunities and was able to take some opportunities that this is what happened. Um, For me, it's about being able to tell stories that I really believe in. And I really believe in, you know, the stories in Wonder Woman and the stories in Batgirl and Birds of Prey and and those types of things that I've done and even Deadpool. Um, (laughs) And now, you know, I have some stories that I really believe in that need to be in a different setting. And so that's um, why I'm, I'm telling them because I just can't, first of all, they're too adult um, to exist in in that framework, and so I'm I'm excited to kind of delve over into that world, and then hopefully sometime I'll get into a younger audience, a project with a younger audience that may not may or may not fit in that world as well. It's kind of it's more about the type of story I believe in right now that that um, I want to work on. Understood, and yeah, I can see you get back to that Gus Beezer kind of uh, <laughs> sense of humor that you were able to show for an all ages audience. I can, I don't blame you absolutely. Tell me about your Tumblr blog. Uh, the comic, the comic survival kit. Yeah, um, that, I'm just curating that, and um, a bunch of people, including myself, but people all throughout the industry, have given these amazing pieces of advice. And if you're interested in being in the industry in any aspect, whether it's lettering, coloring, art, writing, editing, uh, publishing, uh, self-publishing, running a convention, all of it. There's advice for all of it in, in this. Uh, Tumblr, and I just encourage you to go and, and spend time there because you will not get the, this is valuable information that you will not get elsewhere. And I think all of us that are in the, in the industry wish we would have had it when we started. Last question um, because you've been such an advocate for getting more diversity in comics, um, it's come under fire, and it's kind of surprising, in my observation, that there is this pushback because as I see it, there's only, all that we're looking for is to expand the market and have more books and more choices for people. And I want your point of view on, on this issue. I can't believe it's an issue, but apparently it is. Seems so simple, doesn't it? Um, but the truth is, and it is surprising because I can't imagine why people wouldn't want to have more product uh, to choose from. And, you know, nobody's losing anything by having more diversity and some different genres brought in and all that. They're really not losing anything. But the reality is, if you look at things historically, and this is how I keep myself calmed down most days, is that we, to, if for change to happen, there's going to be resistance. Change does not happen without resistance. Otherwise, you know, there'd be constant change. And, and But, you know, when you go through getting the women's right to vote, equal pay, you know, all this stuff, same thing with uh, segregation. If you just look historically about the resistance, the resistance always comes from someone who's afraid they're losing something. And um, I just don't understand. That's the part I don't quite understand is why they view that as a loss. But I think right now there, you know, there was resistance when I started to having a female right comic books. Now we're past that, and there's going to be resistance to other things as we move forward. And it's just part of the process. And um, that's why I don't, you know, absolutely pull my hair out every moment of every day when I read my email. Because I know that that this resistance is going to come. But if you want this industry to actually survive and move forward and 
be viable and sell enough copies of things to make it viable, we have to expand it. And things are a global market now, and we have to realize that, that not everyone wants to read this one particular narrow type of story. Over and over again. Exactly. And uh, it, it's just... And also, it's kind of disrespectful to our audience in reality, I feel, on an emotional basis, is we have this widely diverse audience. Why don't we have widely diverse stories and characters? Fair enough. And that's... Uh, I, I come to you for this kind of perspective, <laughs> and I appreciate that. And I hope you will come back. And I would love to talk to you longer about some of the, the, the bigger issues as well. But continued success. I'm uh, You continue to have your following uh, come with you to book to book and I can, like I said I appreciate your realism but by the same <laughs> token I think the track record speaks for itself so just keep up the great work. Thank you so much John and good luck to you too. There you go, another word balloon in the books. We've got more C2E2 coverage and big names on the way. We're uh, talking about uh, my panel with Gene Ha. I was happy to spotlight Gene on uh, not only his creator-owned stuff, but uh, looking back at some uh, big moments in Gene's career. Uh, we also talk with uh, Jonathan Hickman, Nick Patara, and Nick Dragata. Uh, all the creators behind the Manhattan Projects and uh, East of West. And uh, we talk about those books, but also we talk about uh, John's uh, work as he's wrapping things up with Marvel, with Secret Wars. We talk to Jimmy Palmiotti about uh, what's going on in his world, both uh, creator-owned stuff and uh, the upcoming Starfire uh, series that he's going to be doing with Amanda Connor. And uh, a few other uh, great interviews along the way. But uh, there's some of the highlights for the next episode of Word Balloon as we wrap up our C2E2 coverage. Hope you enjoyed today's show. It was brought to you by the League of Word Balloon listeners. Thank you for your support. And also brought to you by InStock Trades at InStockTrades.com. You can get books like The Walking Dead Trade Paperback Volume 23. 50% off at $7.49. You can get Amazing Spider-Man Edge of Spider-Verse, 42% off, $9.27. The Avengers Epic Collection, Behold the Vision, 42% off, $20.29. You can get Avengers Rage of Ultron, original graphic novel. The hardcover is 42% off, $14.49. In addition to that, select Oni Press titles are 50% off. All the Fable Trade Paperbacks, Volumes 1 through 20 at 45% off. Or you can get uh, J. Michael Straczynski's Twilight Zone sale, Volumes 1 and 2, are now 50% off. And that's all happening at InStockTrades.com. Check out all the great deals. Don't forget, if your orders are $50 or more, you receive free shipping. And they are just amazing. My pals at InStockTrades.com. Thanks again for listening to Word Balloon. Hope you enjoyed today's show. Uh, Big May is on the way and uh, more first timers as uh, we've had a few first timers come on in April and uh, the trend continues uh, as we roll on to May. So uh, next uh, episode, we're going to wrap up our C2E2 coverage with uh, some great conversations with people like Gene Ha, Jonathan Hickman, Jimmy Palmiotti, Nick Dragata, Nick Patara, and a whole lot more. I hope you'll join me and uh, enjoy all the great conversation. Word Balloon is a copyright feature of Shaky Productions, copyright 2015.